0: Hi everybody and welcome to another exciting episode of Real Talk. Today, we're jumping back in the supply chain, um, and this is really a, uh, a topic and a company that really resonates with me. This company is in the, in the business from supply chain mitigation of components through, through, through for the last 25 years, and I'm really, really proud to announce ERAI on the Real Talk today. Hi, Richard, how are you? Good, Rob, how are you today? I'm doing great. Welcome to The Real Talk. Thank you for coming for on the show. I am so fortunate to have you and as I said, supply chain is a big thing for our business and in my world has been in you guys are uh, the police that mm-hmm. the last twenty five year policing the supply chain mitigation helping suppliers manufacturers in all industries so as I said, I would love to start uh, telling us a little about yourself and uh, and get into that what, what how did you get into this business Richard
1: well rob I'm a second generation distributor guy um uh, my Dad was uh, with a uh, distributor called Electronic Wholesalers when he brought my mom and I back to the U.S. from France in 1960. Electronic Wholesalers had two locations, one in Washington, D.C. and Cape Canaveral. And they were selling tubes and resistors and capacitors. And I think the two in 2222 was just now coming around. So he worked there for many years um, and eventually took a job with – Uh, A distributor called Kramer Electronics. Mm -hmm. At one time, Kramer Electronics was the largest electronic component distributor in the world, and Kramer Electronics ended up buying electronic wholesalers at one point. So, as a teenager, I spent my summers in the warehouse of Kramer Electronics doing inventory, counting resistors, filling orders, receiving, things like that. I had trained uh, at a tech high school to work on small engines. I wanted to be like Mm -hmm. a tractor repair guy or small aircraft repair guy. And when I got out of high school, my dad said, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. I hadn't thought much about it. By that time he had a rep company and he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you pay for a haircut, a suit and a briefcase and turn you loose. So I cut my teeth selling components to radio and TV stations in Virginia. No experience. And at the time, this would be 1977, Um, remote broadcasting was a new thing. So the radio and TV stations were building their own remote broadcast vans and they were buying components to do that. And I just happened to show up at the right time. So after a while, I progressed and I started calling all the types of customers. I wanted to get back to the DC area where I had grown up. So I took a job with what was then called Hamilton Abnet and I spent the next 35 years or so with uh, franchise distribution and independent distributors and all sort of distributors I've worked. And um, I had an opportunity in 2013 to join ERAI officially, even though I had helped them get started in
0: 1995. Wow, I mean, that's that story is, it, it resonates with me well, because myself, I started, as I said, different generation, but I started electronic business my family business we had this my father was a power supply engineer 70s built the business the distribution and uh, really i i really resonate with the same story because that's where i came into you know which direction you're going to go you're going to go into your own career you're gonna get the family business or figure this out so i really understand uh how that works in the process and the excitement because back then especially you say you work and everything was spent technology revolution was happening 70 80s things were changing the as you said broadcasting the building everything was in, in the states building and it was uh such a dynamic uh, and fun exciting um, business to be in as the this, you just said it worked for Hamilton Air, Avnet which just was back then now it's Avnet and everything has changed and consolidated but as you said bringing you up to today is the ERAI and really um I like to explain take a step back and explain who is ERAI and really what are they doing in the marketplace for supply chain mitigation and especially as a big topic today counterfeits that's a yeah. big thing that really I think ERAI is really helping police that
1: well, ERAI was founded in 1995 by Mark and Crystal Snyder. And as it turns out, uh, Mark had just gotten into this business. He was in it for a short time. Mm-hmm. And he tells a story at various conventions and trade shows that we go to. He was working for a guy in Massachusetts, and he was assigned a task. Call around and find these parts. And it just so happened I was the first person he called. I was an inside sales uh, sales rep for a Florida distributor at the time. Mark and I became friends, did a lot of business together. He started his own company at one time and he got burned on on a check, a bad check or something. I don't think it was a lot of money, a few hundred dollars. And it happened once and it happened twice. And he was always put off by some of the bad actors. So he contacted other distributor, broker, independent companies and said, hey, is anybody else having this problem? And lo and behold, many people had had the problem with the same guys, the same companies. So he started ERAI to sort of clean up police and promote the electronic component distribution industry to the OEM community. And it grew from there. Um, In the year 2000, he got his first report of a counterfeited integrated circuit. Mm -hmm. And he had the, the vision to see that that was an issue. And since then, we've accumulated the largest known database of counterfeit and non-conforming electronic components and companies reported to for shipping them.
0: I mean that's that story is because as you said, ERA started to, I think, uh, legitimize or actually give mitigation to real companies that doing, you know, bad checks or fraud, any type of thing. But then as the two thousands rolled around, the dot com era the whole Asian market grew, everything grew, and all of a sudden there was an influx of counterfeit components. And in myself, I think I got into the business in the early, mid-90s, even those fam early, early, early 90s to mid-90s. And I remember ERAI coming to the surface and being in the, in the marketplace. Um, But really it was like fitting, but I think in really the whole, ERAI's name became famous when the counterfeits came into play, and the component mitigation and and supplier risk because there were suppliers everywhere, and that's one thing as I said over the last 25 years, what ERAI has built and the policing and the the legitimate it's it's been amazing.
1: I think that point is driven home when you realize yeah. the company was started as ERAI Electronic Resellers Association Incorporated. Yeah, yeah. And At about our 2008 executive conference. Half the attendees weren't even resellers. They were manufacturing companies, EMS companies, prime defense contractors, government agencies. So our member base had grown to include companies and entities beyond just resellers. So the company was officially, the company name was officially changed to ERAI Inc.
0: So in 2008, it was rebranded to ERAI Inc.? Okay, so that's when that went into because it's as it was funny when I was doing my research as usual the going like, right, where is ERAI? Electronic. Paper,
1: Reset, go ahead. The paper, paperwork probably would have been completed in
0: 2008
1: or 2009, but it was in that time frame it became ERAI.
0: Exactly. That's that's where uh, I remember Electronic Resale Association Industries, and there were shows. I think we had shows in Vegas. Um, oh, yeah. and there The trade shows in Vegas, those were fun. I mean, those were the, everybody got together. When everybody, that was the time where everybody got together. Those were the fun shows in the distribution franchise, independence. um, Everybody got to celebrate and also join and share thoughts and what's really happened in the market and how we all grow stronger together. And I think that's really what uh, ERA has done is really built a solidified supply chain um, and stronger together aspect, especially today where counterfeits, as you're saying, I mean, to really on. Yesterday, I read an article from Amazon spending about $500 million to mitigate counterfeits into their own supply chain of the products they're selling on the website. So you can see that's that's the end product. We are starting from the bottom of the base of the hardware, right? So this end is really exciting. To say, okay, you're starting at the beginning of the phase of building any type of widget or gadget or consumable item to make sure those are complying. The suppliers are complying are legitimate suppliers, don't have any counterfeits, have traceability. I mean, these are all things. So I... I like to go through, take us through, and can you take us the steps of how ERA works, validating supply base, and how this whole system works for new, existing, and people out there?
1: Absolutely. Uh, We currently have about thirty-one thousand companies listed in our database. They're not all good. They're not all bad. They're not all ERAI members. Mm -hmm. Uh, I promote ERAI members as a pool of pre-screened vendors, if you will. And this is one of the reasons that the OEM community has come to us. They're driven to us by our counterfeit parts database. They need that for their mandated required counterfeit part risk mitigation policies. They've learned that ERAI members are pre-screened. When we take on a member, the minimum requirement is they're in business for one year or more. We have an application that's rather extensive that we check in great detail. We go through six customer references and six vendor references. We do a cursory financial check on the company. Then we check the public databases in all 50 states for bankruptcies, frauds, uh, joint ventures, other things like that that may be of interest. And they have to have no uh, reports against them by an ERAI member or non-member. So no reports. When I pull up a I do a demo, when I pull up a company who's been an ERAI member since 1999 um, with no no alerts against them, that's a pretty good indication that just about anyone could do business with them successfully. And my OEM members are noticing that. We have a part sourcing tool, and that's not our core business. There are other part sourcing tools out there that anyone with 2,500 U.S. dollars can list anything they want for sale. With no regard for country of origin, quality control, prior bad acts. When you look up something in the ERAI part sourcing tool, it's an ERAI member. So you automatically know no one's complained against them. Uh, and only ERAI members can list their inventory there. So OEMs are finding that helpful. Then we track and report on dozens of different sorts of infractions uh, beyond counterfeits, financial problems, legal problems. Uh, bait and switch type things. Uh, they're, and they're all listed in our advanced company search tool.
0: Yeah, I mean I think that's validates because of myself I've been uh, we are as well as we use AI when we set up any vendor or any customer. It is a part of our process in our SOPs for the last 10 plus years to make sure there's no report. And it's not just like you're reporting on companies that are in your system. You actually bring in a lot. And it's amazing what the data, the data you guys have collected, which multi companies opening up under different names, same owner, different names. And it's amazing that data and the traceability and keeping that because some of these people think they can cheat the system, close down business, jump in it. And they are the people not so credible. They have bad business practices, bad business habits. They can, Inject counterfeits, they don't have quality policies, all this that goes into play, you know, as for ourselves, you know, especially in the very supply chain like ourselves. We're AS9120 and AS6081. Uh, we are a franchise supplier and we do have some independent lines as well because we do some consolidating for a lot of manufacturers. So they want to audit us how does this component traceability from start to end flow process? So we have to have these SOPs and ERAI is part of that SOP of. The process that we need to audit our customers and our vendors of we're purchasing or we're selling to and has really helped us solidify what we're doing in uh, today's world and being successful moving forward.
1: It doesn't take a very long time to do that. And you save yourself a lot of potential loss and grief. A couple of things many people don't realize. The ERAI also has right on our website. uh, If you remember, you can look it up. The denied parties list. And I can tell you some real-life examples where this is a typical scenario. It's the junior sales rep, and he gets a at a a distributor, broker, independent, whatever you want to call him. He gets a random fax or email for some parts. His sales manager says, go ahead and work the quote. He works the quote. He sends it to the customer, and they're in in another country. The next morning, he comes to work, and there's a purchase order with an American Express card. It's $50,000 worth of stuff. They process the order. The American Express card is cleared. It goes through. They're all high fiving in the office. They ship the product. Three days later, the guys in the black suits and gold badges show up and say, hey, I need to look at this because you ship parts to a company that's on the denied party list. They've been denied by either the, the Bureau of Industry and, and Science or the State Department or one of these. And they want to right there. there. 30 seconds it takes to punch in a company name or an individual's name or a country just to make sure you're not getting tied up into a transaction that's going to cause you problems later.
0: Oh, yeah, I 100% agree. You hit the nail on the head right there because I think a lot of companies in supply chain or sell products, they get those soliciting emails that people want to buy a product. They want to pay by credit card. It's not even a legitimate credit card. you got two ads. you got people who are in a denied list who will pay for it and the people who are just trying to cheat the system who have stolen credit cards. And that's why I want you to, can you explain to us a little bit about how often you've seen that? Because for us, we get a lot of inquiries. They just make up stories. They actually counterfeit or they impersonate companies and they impersonate, you know, just companies, email address. It looks the same. Maybe one letters different. People don't notice. Set up terms. And can you explain to us How that has really been prevalent in the marketplace of the counterfeiting and impersonating uh, identity
1: identity theft is a big problem and it just Mm -hmm. doesn't seem to go away. We have a separate section uh, when you're looking up in our advanced company search tool, you can search for people that have been reported for identity theft. Now, it gets to be a little problematic because the legitimate company ABC Electronics, right? If somebody tries to steal their identity and it's a B dot C electronics. Just for instance, we can't put identity theft as a um, an incident against ABC electronics because people go, they type in, they say, obviously, Oh, elect identity theft. And they back off. They won't dig into the details that they are the victim of the identity theft. So we send those out in uh, emails through our database, our email broadcast. Uh, Whenever they're identified and we paid a note in there so it doesn't look like the legitimate company has been reported. We'll put a note there that this company, you need to go look at the company that was reported and see the differences. Um, Some of them are quite sophisticated these days and it's a problem.
0: Yeah, I agree. We um, I think. Everybody it doesn't matter your component with everybody's facing these things because especially if you're doing digital marketing, online marketing, website marketing, a lot of people contact. They want to buy a gadget. Oh, it's legitimate? And um, and sometimes we all fall for that, you know. Even the merchant companies, everybody's getting a little more high risk that these people aren't there. And we I think we see the alerts from ERAI, which is very active. That's what they want to talk about. You guys are alerts. Are active, you're sending out alerts on a daily basis. You have database that people can search part numbers, search companies. This is this data, it's, it's actually priceless. People don't understand the strength of what it, this can do.
1: It actually is, uh, can be priceless. Yeah. Um, I can tell you examples of companies that you wouldn't think that they're not that big, big, uh, they're not that well known in the electronics industry as a big customer, but they get burned and they come to us and then. You know, one of the services ERAI does is we we're not a collection agency, but what we do can help people refund money to you. Especially once we've uh, opened a case, we talk to all the parties involved, and when we threaten to broadcast this, all of a sudden a lot of people are more open to the idea of settling. But sure. we have helped uh, some companies recuperate so much money that their ERAI membership is like nothing yeah. compared to the potential losses.
0: Yeah, I I I agree. I mean, that's uh, for us. We've we've actually used your services. We've had companies who didn't want to pay. They've had delinquency in payments. Um, you guys got involved, solved it for the no matter the dominant the denomination. Um, you guys sold it overseas, Asia, India, U.S. You guys did an excellent job on that mitigation, and it helps. As I said, it's, the, it's that's part of the service. So that's one thing. When I want to get back to is the ERI, is the services as being a member, as a member, when you sign up for ERI, what are all the services that you get as a member?
1: Well, you just talked about dispute resolution, and that's one that you know doesn't necessarily have its own bullet point, but that's just something we do. It's no extra charge for that. You come to us with. Your concerns or your problems, we'll assign a case worker and we'll check it out for you. Um, Obviously, our high risk counterfeit part database is what separates us from the rest of the world. No one has anything as extensive as that. And that you use to prevent loss, mitigate risk, navigate yourself, navigate the supply chain to avoid bad product. What I just said, what I just mentioned, applies to our company database. You can use that to vet a potential new vendor. Uh, look and see if there's been any problems reported. My OEM members, they will check their approved vendor list against our database and they're often pleasantly surprised, sometimes unpleasantly surprised. They're doing business with customers that have been reported and they they just didn't know. And that doesn't mean that they're going to have a problem, but it it gives them the intelligence to investigate and make some decisions. Um, I mentioned all the sort of, infractions that we track and report on. And then our part sourcing tool, you may not see as many vendors or as much available product in the ERAI part sourcing tool as you will on some of the other commercially available sites. But you've gone a long way towards saving yourself a lot of trouble and a lot of grief in starting with a group of companies that have been vetted by us uh, with inventory
0: and just so you say, you're mitigating that risk and that's what the service does and and that's what the the mission of the company is mitigating your risk in supply chain so moving forward i uh, would like to also understand i know you have a new program called the intercept program can I'm you just ex-
1: get to that as yeah. one of the one of the new services that yeah that we um intercept is a training and certification program and the way it's set up is it's built to be marketed bought sold and used online and you can go right to the ERAI website and look at training. There's a two minute video that'll tell you all about how to get started. And after that, you look at the class list and you can mix and match the classes that you are interested in. And they start uh, very basic, what I call DISTY 101. And it just explains how a part goes from the manufacturer through the various uh, distribution channels uh, through the manufacturing process to the end product that's sitting, you know, in your car or, or on your on your desk. Uh, then we get into more extensive things on training or testing and inspecting using specific techniques or specific pieces of equipment for specific devices. Then we have several classes on compliancy issues. And these intercept classes um Meet all the standards that we're aware of for continuing education for quality control and, and that kind of thing. And that's going pretty well for us. It's a real simple process to log on, uh, buy a class. You've got, I think, up to 90 days to complete it. I've gone through all of them. I've passed all the international You can go forward and backward and take your time and do the quizzes. And then uh, the test at the end, if you get eight percent or better, you get a certificate with your name on it saying that you, you pass this class. Now, the certification classes to be an intercept certified inspector, uh, there are two programs. It's, it's detailed. There are uh, specific required classes that you have to take to, to uh,
0: generate one of those certificates. No, I mean, It's we, fantastic. As, as I said, we can keep going on and on with that. But it's like continuous learning. I think that intercept program is good for existing to continuous learn your existing quality staff, internal operations staff, uh, counterfeiting mitigation stuff, you know, all that stuff that people are hands on. And also, um, with continuous and also the new talent that comes in when you hire new people, have them go through these courses to understand mm-hmm. the process, understand the product, because a lot of people don't understand the full supply chain, even though if they've been in quality, they understand how the risk mitigation works, how to look at a product, how to look at a semiconductor. I mean, everything has, there's a component in it and learning and it teaches your eye, right? This intercept class really, uh, does a training and teaches you how to look for little uh, abnormalities and how to process things, correct?
1: Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That reminds me when I do demos in our high-risk counterfeit part database, we always give you an image of the part, the top of the part as received, mm-hmm. the bottom part as received, and then images that support the text descriptions of the various nonconformances. Mm-hmm. Well, my manufacturing companies, they use those images to train their incoming inspectors, their QC guys, and even production line workers uh, are trained using these images so that they can spot these anomalies as sort of the last line of defense in keeping counterfeit product out of their out of their products.
0: Yeah, I mean that's it's excellent. It's a win-win. I mean, this is just the awareness. I guess again, ERI is not just the service, it's building awareness in the marketplace. It's training companies, not just suppliers. OEMs. And I know some of the top tier one OEMs are using ERIA to qualify their vendor base, which it means Absolutely. that it's amazing because the, the data that um, speaks for itself and the process and overall, like everything's been evolving. So that's what I want to ask the questions moving forward. How do you think that in the last 25 years, just to say ERIs, how has the industry evolved in this type of mitigation in the business that you wow. see for the future?
1: Big question. It's yeah. involved in, in a few different ways. One is the actual technology uh, the, the changes and it's been mind-boggling for a period of decades when I got in this business the leading eprom was a 1702 that was before the 2708 which rookies haven't heard of because they're all the 271,000 or 27 uh, yeah 4k is whatever um, so DRAMs, when I got in they were they were 256 bit not 256 K. <laughs> 256, <laughs> bit. 256 bit. You needed four of them to make a 1K byte. Right. Yeah. So yeah. The technology has grown. Moore's law. I read recently. The guy. I think the head of uh, Nvidia. I think says Moore's law has finally died. But Moore's law stated that um, densities would double about every two months and or every 18 months. And we went through that for a long period of time. Yeah. So. The original 8088 microprocessor has been superseded dozens of times over with the Pentiums and the high end and the the multiprocessor solutions. So the technology has changed. The way we take product to market has changed. When I got in this business, you would not be successful unless you had a hard brick and mortar facility in a marketplace. Um, When I started with Avnet in Baltimore, Maryland, their customers were Baltimore, Maryland. They couldn't do business in Washington, D.C. or Virginia because those people thought Baltimore was too far away. So they got smart and opened an office in Columbia, Maryland, which was halfway between D.C. and or Virginia and Maryland and D.C. area and Baltimore area. So then the marketplaces, it was kind of a they, they merged there. Both of them would feel comfortable dealing with a comp- company in that location. Uh, you had regional managers. You had the open offices in Carolina. You couldn't run those offices out of Richmond, Virginia. So you had to have a brick and mortar location with inventory. You know, it was one thing the customers demanded that I want my parts in stock. I want your sales rep to be able to put them in his car and bring them to me if I need them that quick. Um, franchises changed that way too. You'd have companies that were national companies, maybe they had 25 to 40, 50 locations. But they would only be franchised for product lines in 40, 40 of those states and not 10. So even the franchise varied from area to area. So the way we take product to market is, uh, has changed. Now, it's, you know, it's phone sales, um, uh, regional warehouses or, or master warehouses. And shipping has become cheap. Um, internet has become cheap. Uh, in the old days, you, you really had to have. A lot stronger local presence.
0: Yeah. So the technologies, the world's gone smaller because of the interwebs and the the internet has made everything smaller. Um, and as I said, I agree one hundred percent. That's why I wanted to jump into because your experience is really going into the global aspect. I know you have a lot of experience in Asia, a lot of Europe. You've traveled around. So really what has transformed what you've seen over the past 20, 30 years with the expansion of Asia, manufacturing, supply chain? Really, what is your insights on that?
1: Well, um, I can tie the, the last little question into this one through standards. When I got in this business, there were no standards. You had mill spec and commercial and and the mill spec people don't realize military semiconductors. And when I got in this business in 78 had to be manufactured in the 48 continental United States on a separate military production line with either an in-house or visiting military inspector. And that military inspector um, vetted the employees that would work on that line, the quality control was it being built to, to spec, that kind of thing. And it was expensive, very expensive process, but we didn't have near the counterfeiting that we had now. Um, I think some of the first standards that really started to come into play were were ISO and I was an inside sales rep when that came around and people were confused. I'm an ISO company, so all your problems are solved. (laughs) And I had to explain to people, customers that my competitor just said about ISO, what he said, but the truth is, ISO does not make a bad part good. It (laughs) means when you shift a bad part and you, Mr. Customer, complain about it, they have a system in place to call that to the proper people's attention and make arrangements to avoid that specific problem from happening again. Um, The lead-free thing, that had a big effect on the industry. I'll keep my personal opinion about it to myself because it doesn't matter. If you want to be in the business, you've got to deal with the standards. And I think most of the good ones, most of the ones now, the AS5553A and all the things that have spun off from that uh, are good. And ERAI is actively involved in most of the committees that write those standards.
0: Yeah, oh, I, I agree. I mean, so they're involved with other government standards. It's like the G19, G20, SAE, I think it is. There's a lot of different standards. Of course, the AS standards, it's, it's the aerospace defense uh, processes. But as I said, moving forward to that, for all that that's changed in the industry So going to, just like you said, the, all the, everything used to be audited for aerospace defense, the components you make, but through the globalization, as my question was, and moving to Asia and some of the packaging down are some of the components, how has that changed?
1: Well, um, again, I, I think we're learning a lot right now. I mean, product coming from China is, is a big concern for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting to note that our first reported counterfeit part came from China and it came very shortly after China joined the World Trade Organization. I lived and worked in China for a total of five years, six months at a time back, seven months, three months, back and forth. And um, I've seen most of the, the big counterfeit operations and I've seen the way things work there. And from my standpoint, there are two major economies in China. And I left in 2013. So that's as recent as I can be. There's the official communist party economy. I have a book. If you ever had trouble sleeping, it's called <laughs> public finance for China. And it explains the tax system. But all these companies, it's a huge industry. Or it's a huge economy. They're all registered with the government. And they are involved, uh, participate in the VAT program, the value-added tax. There is a huge, I would guess, equally, equal size, but it's big, kind of a sub-economy. And that's the wild, wild west. That's all the entrepreneurs. That's all the capitalists, you know, trying to do what they can. And that is the economy where the counterfeiters
0: the gray area, as you say, the gray area, we oh, it's not
1: It's not regulated. Uh, it's not taxed. And I'm just speculating now. I think the reason the government does not do something about that is because if they shut that down, then they have to find other ways to support that huge population of people that are involved in that. And... I get asked questions like, why would someone want to counterfeit a reel of uh, capacitors that's $500? Why take the risk? Well, when I left China, the median income of the 1.3 billion people was equivalent to $5,000 annually. annually. Right? That's what they made. So you do one counterfeit deal for $500, bucks, you've increased your standard of living by 10%. right? You do that once a week, and all of a sudden, you're living like a king. So- there's there's a lot of incentive to cut corners, um, and it's unfortunate, but the industry is doing a real, real good job of uh, identifying them and, and avoiding them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can um, relate to that as well as myself. I've been going to Asia region, China, Southeast Asia for the last 20 years. We built operations out there, and I've seen it I'm just like you have firsthand the markets and the components in that gray area. It's the shopping malls, you know, and the components, mm-hmm. again, supply chains, not just cons- it's consumables and the raw material. Both. Sure. And you're right, it's a gray area. They built it. Um, I think it wasn't police, but you know, one thing I give it to it, it is. They're putting more, the government's putting more clamp down. They are trying to get that out of it because what happens also is they become, doing business with Asia or even uh, foreign international entities, contract manufacturers, OEMs in China, the supply chain they did to themselves is so tight. They want everything, as I said, the traceability, the products, how it goes to, they want to know where the origination is. They are more tedious on, on quality than actually, another a lot of other countries are even U.S. for that because they know what they created themselves. So they're like, okay, they know how to look at products. They're experts at the eye. They know if it's counterfeit. They know the testing protocol. They know everything because they actually created it. They actually and they they learn from themselves. Okay, and it's funny is uh, in this business. I've it's been harder to do business with some Chinese back or multinationals who manufacturing over there because they're very tight. They're at the end of the day like we just don't want to chance anything you know how what type of protocols you they'll audit you who you're buying from because it's very easy to go into that gray market and get products easy money as they call it, easy money as you go you can make money but it caused a fire cause this and that's that's the challenge because that's why it's a 50 i don't know how many i think you might know the numbers how much of the billion is a counterfeit industry total not just component everything it's like 50 billion something like that
1: isn't it well that's just in in our business, I saw a number in an article just recently of a trillion dollars, but that included all the consumer stuff, all consumer the consumer goods. Yeah, well, the consumer, the Gucci handbags, the Rolex watches, all that. I mean, that's a total number. Uh, there are a couple of government agencies that try to keep a handle on it, but it's very difficult. Um,
0: but it, it's a big number. Yeah. I mean, I even know I've been to some, I think it was some of the ERAI conferences back years back that uh, you guys had some great speakers and bringing up from some of the OEM manufacturers and some of the tier one semiconductors telling about it's not that the counterfeit product in the supply chain, they were taking product that was scrapped and putting it back in the supply chain.
1: Uh, Many big stories about that happening. And of course it wasn't the company, the, 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 OC, the uh, OCM that was doing that, it was employees. And employees, one yeah. comes to mind. It was a packaging house in in Malaysia, and they were contracted by the U.S. semiconductor company to, to package die. And all the failures, they were just put them the side. And they they were running three eight-hour shifts. Two of them were for the OCM, and then the third one was, you know, for the the local guys. And they were cranking that. It looked product looked the same, packaged the same. And they would ship it through alternate channels, and that, that was a big problem. Yeah. Um, most OCMs have tightened that up uh, over the years. I mean, it was uh, it was a big problem for a long time with, with many, many OCMs. I mean, in my travels, I saw a lot of product that was just as authentic as you. It was authentic; it was authentic product, yeah. but it was
0: scrapped, failed product that should have never been released
1: into the supply chain.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have those stories. I've heard a lot of those conferences. I, I was even like, I walk out of there, like my mind's blown. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe this amount. I mean, I think it was also due to the globalization. A lot of companies outsource chip fab front end, back end. Yeah. And, you know, they thought they had control, but people are very innovative and you're right. A little bit of money, a little trash. This, the people are creative. And the Asians are very creative. They turn trash into cash. And that is really what it is. And how that that counter that multi-billion trillion dollar counterfeit or using traffic is in there because there's money to be made and people are making a lot of money. But overall, I know we're trying to clamp down, the governments are trying to clamp down because an end of the day, we can't have this type of business happening. Um, we can't have it in our industries. It's getting into a lot of, you know, defense life support. And that's one right. thing is, is ERII has been one of those leaders of reporting that, you know, you guys are on top of it. I seen a lot in the last 10 years, a lot of cases where people are selling, you know, exporting military goods to, you know, restricted countries, sanction countries, these right. things going back and you guys have done a great job creating the awareness of that. And that's really what I appreciate is at the end of the day, you can't know everything. But you guys push that content to your members or to external and try to say, hey, here's the awareness. Be smart. These are the okay. companies to do it. And it's, it's been fantastic. I mean, you guys, done. as I said, you guys are the police for this component business.
1: We're, we're, we're a business intelligence firm. Yeah. And we really want to give people the intelligence to make good decisions. What you just said a moment ago, be smart. I say that 50 times a day. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I don't want to tell anybody how to run their business, but when we see a problem uh, or, or an incident that we think affects them. And we're talking about it. We say this, you have to look at this and, and be smart. Uh, one of the things that we do along those lines, we have several cases in our database of companies. They happen to be Hong Kong or China based, but the company name changes and they're online, you know, retailers and their people take place in orders with them, place in orders with them. But what we do is we, have connected all of these different company names with a single bank account or a single ip address and if people they go they go online and they say oh look i found these these parts at hong kong and and i've done this a million times i say excuse me ask yourself why is it that the largest companies on the planet can't find a thousand of these and you think some guy in a garage in hong kong Legitimately has 15,000 pieces. Now, just just think about that. For But I have to have them. I can't, I can't, I fine. Don't pay wire transfer in advance. But I must because that's the only way they'll ship me the parts. And they do the wire transfer. And in the old days, at least, in the old days, at least the guys who were going to scam you had the decency to ship you a 20 pound box of Russell Sports. Now they don't do anything. You get the money, you never hear from them again. And Unfortunately, our database is just full of those kind of cases. And and most of them had they gone and looked, searched the company name that they're dealing with, they'll see it linked to ten other company names all funneled into one bank account or one IP address or something like that. Well,
0: as I said right there, I just came this this acronym came to my name. You guys are the counterfeit intelligence agency, the CIA.
1: Yeah, yeah. You I know? like it.
0: Yeah, I like that. How does that? That's a new little acronym, you guys, because it is. You guys are uh, intelligent. So just like you said. You brought that term of intelligence of what it is and what they do and moving forward. So, but as I said, you know, it's been as I said, it, the industry has really changed. And I, like I said, you guys are doing a great job. So, my last question before we end this is really, what do you? What's the future for you guys? What's the future for both ERA and the electronics industry that you see? Um, being here as a, as a legend in the, in the business and understanding it, so with the wisdom that you have, what do you see for the future?
1: Well, uh, we have kind of a, a running joke at ERAI that if we do our job really, really well, we'll go out of business. Yeah. Think about it, if you eliminate counterfeits. The, 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 the reality is that's not the case. Uh, in 2018, for the first time since we ever started collecting data, the number one most reported counterfeit device was not an integrated circuit of some kind. It was a multi-level ceramic chip capacitor. Okay. So the point is counterfeiting the target changes all the time from year to year. So we're looking back as we look forward, we want to do more of the same. We want to be on, on top of things. We want to make the industry aware of trends and what's happening, what's being counterfeited and where's it coming from. Uh, we, we appreciate and, and act on a lot of input we get from our customers um, and members. One of the uh, new tools we added is our uh, counterfeit search law. It operates in the background. Most people don't know they have it until they need it. And what it does, it, it it's intended for the audit that's gonna come and you can prove that you looked at certain pages of data over a certain period of time. If you're auditing, say, look, we've done our due diligence. Here's the information I looked at based on what I saw. These are the steps I took to mitigate the risk going forward uh, in terms of the industry. Again, more of the same. When I got in this business, the only customers were the universities and IBM and then companies that supported the department of defense colleges, university and IBM. Um, and now electronics are everywhere. And I think that will continue to, to grow. Um, we have not maxed out uh, in, in the digitizing the world. Uh, the Internet of Things is coming. Um, I have some friends that are that are in that business. And some of the projected scenarios are even your refrigerator will have a whole lot of sensors in it. Mm-hmm. So when you're carton of milk. You put it in; it's empty. It'll sense and send to the grocery store that they're ready for milk. And your eggs—you know—it'll weigh. They has got twelve eggs; you got three left. And it'll create your grocery list. And then you just—you know—show up with your your uh, yeah, smartphone, tap a button. Next. Yeah, pick up your order. So um, we have not maxed out the use of electronics, and uh, defense continues to be a a a, a big market. Medical, growing market, uh, commercial. Obviously, th- it's going to be in everything. Um, what drove that multi-level ceramic chip capacitor shortage is is automobiles. Uh, prior to a couple of years ago, I forget the exact number. It's hold me to this. There were like a thousand MLCCs per automobile, and now it's like thirty thousand. The industry just couldn't meet it all, and that that's going to grow.
0: Yep. I, I gotta agree. I mean, that's you hit some nails on the head right there. Is the industry's growing, um, the technology's growing, everything's IoT. The five, you know, the five G networks. Once the five G networks is up here to stay and it's built, the structure's built, it's going to slow to you know, it's it's been in my opinion everything's been accelerated because of the current situation, the pandemic we've been in. Right, right, What's right. an accelerator? Everything's going faster. We are having conversations now digitally, just like we're having podcasts, communicating, learning, sharing wisdom, sharing information. This is how it is. And I think it's just that's just accelerating and the components is just gonna expand. I think in five years, probably double if we're using one channel. You know, 100 billion, probably use 200 billion. I mean, the numbers can be just, you know, they're made quantified, just mind-boggling because everything is connected, just like, I mean, that now you use the component. I mean, a cell phone only used to have, you know, the MLCC changed the world. The smaller case size, now the bigger at 0805 and 1206 are getting obsoleted. Now it's 01005, which is just, you can barely see It's like a microscopic, but in a cell phone, there's hundreds of them. You know, that's what just, it's amazing just you know.
1: miles down the road from where i sit as a company very involved in uh wearables wearables you know, yeah uh, primarily for the military but um sensors and all sorts of things in clothing uh for a lot of different reasons to monitor and you know shock and motivate and keep you awake and yeah.
0: that kind of thing that's so, fun. I mean, yeah there's a lot of different uses
1: It's been been a good career, a good time. I've had much more, many more good years than bad years. And I owe it all to uh, people that took me under their wing and taught me things. I mean, I talk about some great men, a couple of really smart women that have mentored me over the years. And I've always given that back. I I have hired and trained probably 200 people in this business. Many of them uh, still have good, strong running careers. Some of them have come and gone, um, but with all the technology in the world, I will never be convinced that it's not a people business. You build a relationship with somebody, you'll find a way to do business. And, and I, I encourage people to never forget that.
0: I 100% agree uh, with everything you said, um, and myself and my, my, you know, my, it's my blood. And I am, um, right now for me, I feel like a disconnect because I can't travel and visit customers and people I get used to. So building a platform that we communicate, I can share wisdom, bring on professionals and leaders and uh, thought leaders like yourself onto a platform we communicate. I learn from as well. I learn from what's going on. And this is really where we are today. We have to keep communicating, even though if we can't see each other in person, at least we can communicate in a conference, virtual conference. What we do is we have to keep evolving, Right. This is sure. a short term. We will get over this. As I said, it's, every, it's a challenge. As I said, I always focus on don't focus on the things you can't control, focus on the things you can control. And we can't control this, right? We can control this. And I am so fortunate. Thank you, Richard, for coming on the Real Talk. It's been great. I've learned from you. I think now I can consider you as a friend that we've shared in stories can always reach out. And I would always love, you know, as I said, I can always tap you for anything if you have any questions. Um, and really, my my things to give back. And also, ERA has been a critical in the industry, has helped us. And that's my way to give back, to bring the awareness to the industry. People should know of ERAI, what the focus is. And this is really, this platform will Hopefully, give some more awareness and help with the counterfeit mitigation, risk mitigation, vendor management, everything that we've been talking about for the last 40, 50 minutes. So it's been fantastic.
1: Perfect. I, I, I agree. I never tire of telling the story. And I will leave you with this, Rob. Wherever I am, you have a friend.
0: Thank you, Richard. And remember, guys, I'll end this with always remember, be smart, be thoughtful, be generous. Thank you, Richard. And I'll see you again.